morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Turn Left. I am your host, Indiana's own Dana Black, coming to you live. Yes, all the way live from Black Girl Studios, where we talk about Indiana politics from the left side of things. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week. I got to tell you, I had the start to an amazing Thursday morning. I had the chance to roll up to Zionsville with uh, Mayor Emily Styron. She had a International Women's Day event and Environmental Parks Department event. And I went up with with the, the Honorable Nicole Bolden. And it was great to be in a room full of women who are affirming women and supporting women. We are going to miss Mayor, Mayor Styron something serious in Indiana uh, as a mayor of Zionsville. I know the 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 toxic masculinity up there uh, it was a lot to handle, but she handled it like a champ. I'm just saying, like, I don't know why they want to mess with her. She's just trying to make the, the community better. That's all she wanted to do. But, you know, it was a great event. You guys, there's so much that's happening around the state. Make sure you find out where the people are and what they're doing. There's so much going on now, especially now that we're in the second half of the of the General Assembly session. But big news out of Indianapolis today. Big, big, big news. You guys know that they are on the Democratic side. There were a lot, a lot of folks who had thrown their hat in the ring to run for mayor of the city of Indianapolis. But as of yesterday, candidate Greg Merriweather announced that he is ending his campaign for the race to support and he's throwing his support behind representative Robin Shackelford. He says representative Shackelford has the name recognition and political experience needed to lead the city of Indianapolis into a new era of economic growth, safety, and diversity. So Greg has stepped out. I wish him the best of luck. Hopefully he will not leave Indianapolis politics because we need his energy and we need everything that he's going to bring to the community. So I understand dropping out and I I tip your hat for recognizing that uh, Representative Shackelford would be your person. Obviously, again, Indiana's own does not endorse in the middle of a primary, but that's one less person. And so May the best Democrat come out of the primary. You know, uh, Mayor Hawkshead is running for re-election, so I am looking to try to get him on the show. Hopefully we can get that scheduled. I'm excited about that. But let's turn our attention to the State House real quick because, uh, you know, I, I'm still trying to figure out what it is about Republicans in the State House. What, what are they so afraid of when it comes to our trans community? I mean... Did a Flip Wilson comedy sketch throw them off when when Robin Williams was Mrs. Doubtfire? Did it do something to their insides that they no longer can tolerate trans people? I know down in Tennessee, they have passed legislation to ban trans performances in public. So what, I'm just supposed to stand in front of my mirror? I I just don't get it. What is with these trans folks? But the Indianapolis Star reports there are still five bills alive targeting transgender rights in Indiana at the halfway point of the legislative session. Republican lawmakers initially filed 20 bills this session targeting rights, the triple the highest number of bills seen uh, in any other year. So let's take a look at those bills so you can call your legislators and tell them to kill these anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ plus bills. 
House Bill 1608 bans schools and teachers from discussing human sexuality in kindergarten through third grade and prohibits school employees from using names or pronouns that don't match a student's sex assigned at birth without parental consent. It also requires schools to inform parents if their children's request such a change, which critics say amounts to outing transgender children who could put them in dangerous situations. I don't even understand why they find this hard to believe because not all parents are affirming. Let's be absolutely clear about that. Otherwise, if they were, we wouldn't need DCS. I'm just saying. Senate Bill 480 prohibits doctors and other medical professionals from providing gender-affirming health care to minors, even with parental consent. Proponents of this bill say it's it, it's needed to protect children from making life-altering decisions before they're old enough to understand the consequences. Opponents say it will ban life-saving care and strip parents of their rights to make medical decisions for their children. It passed out of the Senate 36 to 12. I have a hard time with people screaming parental rights every 15 minutes when they want to defund public education. But... When it comes to children's health care, they want to be all up in their business. House Bill 1569 will prevent imprisoned people from using state tax dollars for gender affirming surgery. Republicans who block the bill say they're protecting taxpayers who back the bill say they are protecting taxpayers from paying for what they consider an unnecessary procedure. Democrats and LGBTQ plus advocates say this is a preemptive attack on an already marginalized community over a procedure not being provided. This, in my estimation, is a bill looking for a problem that doesn't exist. But you know what? Give, leave it to the Republican legislators to find a problem that ain't there to write some legislation over. Or they typically just go to ALEC conventions and let them write their legislation. I don't know. House Bill 1407 says the Department of Children's Services cannot remove a child from their parents' care solely on the basis of parents not affirming their gender identity or consenting to gender-affirming care. Y'all, this, this one is dangerous to me. I sit on the board of Trinity Haven. Trinity Haven is the only affirming LGBTQ plus home for residents for LGBTQ plus youth who are at risk of homelessness. I want y'all to think about that. So DCS is, they're saying we're going to pass legislation to prevent DCS from removing a child from a home that isn't affirming. But I sit on a board for a residence that is housing LGBTQ plus youth who are at risk of homelessness. So maybe just maybe DCS should take some kids away from their parents if they're mistreating them get out wow you just gonna leave a kid in a bad situation this is terrible 1407 is terrible and if i didn't sit on a board i may not understand the significance of this and y'all please consider donating go to the trinityhaven.com i'll put the link up we have two programs one is the shelter that houses nine young people and then we also have our host homes program. So if you're in Indianapolis and you have room in your home and a little bit of love to share with a young person who might be homeless, please consider going through the program because, you know, we don't want kids to be traumatized by adults who just don't understand. 
SB, uh, Senate Bill 350 would prohibit cities, towns, and other local units of government from imposing bans on the kinds of services that social workers, mental health counselors, family therapists, and other such service providers could provide. Basically, what this bill is saying, if your town thinks that conversion therapy is BS and you want to prevent non-licensed therapists from, you know, trying to convert people from being who they are to something they ain't, Local control is gone. With If this bill passes and is signed into law, local control is gone. Now, first of all, I'm sorry. Conversion therapy does not work. Either you like liver and onions or you don't. Right? Either you like it or you don't. You don't wake up one day and just go, you know, I'm a African-American black woman who's left-handed in Indiana. I think maybe I want to put just one more reason for someone to treat me like crap on my resume. People don't do that. But if you think conversion therapy helps, I will show you a litany of folks who have been completely and totally traumatized at the notion that they can't be who they choose to be because you think somebody else thinks that they can be somebody else or that they are living a lie. Do you really think you know those people better than they know those people? They know what they like. My mother would get up, my mother in the afternoon, I would come home, the house would be smelling so good with the smell of seasoned meat and caramelized onions, only to look in the pot and see that it is liver and onions. I do not like liver and onions. You can't make me eat liver and onions. I don't care how good it smells in a pot. I am a lesbian. You can't convert that. Most people you cannot convert. It's gender identity is fluid. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to say this to y'all. I'm going to go on the scientific bell curve. You know, there at the extremes, there are smaller amount of people on the extremes than there are in the middle. I would say there are more people on a spectrum of sexuality than completely straight or completely gay. So why don't y'all quit trying to put people where you think they ought to be? and tried to legislate that. I haven't even gotten through all my bills yet. I'm a little hot under the collar about all of this. There are several other bills seemingly connected to a wave of anti-LGBTQ plus legislation. The House adopted an amendment to HB 1001, the budget bill that prohibits state dollars from going to, to the Kinsey Institute. We talked about that. One of my guests probably has some insight and some thoughts on whether or not the Kinsey Institute down in Bloomington should be funded or not. I mean, goodness gracious, what is wrong with learning about human sexuality? Maybe people won't have that rape mentality if they understand how things work. My goodness. Another bill, SB 380, includes a provision that reiterates the school district's ability to implement a dress code to, to curb distractive behavior. The bill's author, Jeff Ratz, said the bill was to address concerns about kids dressing up in furries in classrooms. You guys know that's not a thing, right? Y'all do know this. Maybe Senator Ratz doesn't know this, but that's not a thing. People are not dressing up like animals. And, and the idea that we believe that people are just so stupid to think this is a thing. I mean, come on. Maybe if we had some good public education, maybe people would know the difference. 
And then, of course, Senate Bill 12 also seems to target LGBTQ plus students. The bill seeks to rid classrooms and school libraries of inappropriate books. Now, Senate Bill 12 is problematic because if it were just about obscene materials, you might actually get some traction. But they wanted to get rid of the hate you give, which has nothing to do with sexual orientation, gender identity. It's about, you know, a cop shooting an unarmed black people, a black person and a young person trying to deal with that and what that looks like for them. Y'all don't y'all don't want to learn about what black people have to go through when they are pulled over by law enforcement and maybe fearing for their life because, you know, they could be drugged out of a car and beaten to death. I mean, it happens, I guess, because some of y'all don't have to deal with that in certain other counties, y'all don't want to learn about what we go through. Huh? Just think if you had the perspective of somebody else whom you don't come in contact with, you might actually have some empathy and some concern for those communities. I don't know. I don't know what it is about the rainbow warriors that state house is worried about. All we want to do is be gay and happy. We just want to parade every now and then. And love who we love and raise kids and make money. Oh, and by the way, we pay taxes too. I'm going to need you to not write bills that harm my community when I'm paying taxes. But, you know, let's talk about teachers real quick. The Indiana law, Fox 59 reports, Indiana lawmakers are considering a bill that would provide scholarships to Hoosiers transitioning into teaching from other careers. HB 1528 passed in the House unanimously and is now being considered in the Senate committee. Y'all, we're seeing a decline of teachers, but maybe we're seeing a decline of teachers because the pay sucks. You're putting undue stress on teachers about what they can teach in the classrooms. You want to turn them into felons because there's some material in the library. Maybe that's one of the reasons you have a hard time finding people to become teachers and librarians. Maybe that's nothing to do with the desire to be educators. Maybe it's the undue pressures you put on them. Remember, we used to think teachers and librarians were the greatest thing since sliced bread. Not in the Indiana General Assembly. We want to turn them into criminals. And I, here's my thing. Harmful material is everywhere because y'all not fit to turn off the Internet. Right. Wouldn't it make sense that if a child sees something or a young person sees something, and it's in a library or in an educational setting that an educator can maybe add some nuance, clarity to whatever it is that that young person is seeing or reading. Um, oh, no, no, my bad. Y'all want Facebook to solve the problem. Y'all want, y'all want Instagram to figure it out. My bad. Because everybody on Facebook, remember how they turned into scientists when COVID hit? Remember? Remember how all these people who didn't know nothing about nothing, barely graduated high school, all became all of a sudden became chemists. That's that's where you that's where your children are going to be left to go to find out things. I don't understand. Did y'all forget what it was like to be 10, 12, 15 years old? You're curious. You want to know things. Why are you trying to stifle people? And an educated society is society is a good thing. I know that Republicans are they have this two-prong attack when it comes to public education. First we're going to defund it. Right. That's one angle. And then the other angle is we're going to discourage young people from becoming educators. So if we blow the whole thing up, then it'll be a for profit thing. And only those with money will be able to get educated. How is that going to work out when you got 300 plus million people 
in the country. And there's 6 million of them in Indiana. Y'all not thinking long-term at the state house. Y'all going to get old one day. Don't you want the person who's dispensing your meds to you to be able to read the med? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Indiana's own Dana Black. Y'all, we're in the second half of the session. It really heats up now. Feel free to follow, pay attention, know what's going on, and get hyped like me about what's happening in the state house. All right, candidates, I know you need digital content. Have you thought about a 30 second commercial? Do you think it's gonna cost you $5,000? It will not. If you holler at Indiana's own at Black Pearl Studios, I can create some content for you. 30 second ad, no, I don't have drones. Action shots are not my thing, but I have a full studio. We can record you, we can edit, put some music in the background, and then you can share your message in a 30 second commercial at a very reasonable price. Guys, I'm not trying to break your bank. I wanna help you get elected. Creating digital content is, is another way for you to get that done. Talk to your campaign managers, talk to your finance managers, and scan the QR code and reach out to Indiana's own of Black Pearl Studio so I can help you create some digital content. All right? I love doing this stuff. I'm here to help y'all. I want to elect Democrats. Now, speaking of Democrats, and I just highlighted an amazing female mayor running things up in Zionsville tonight is ladies night. I love ladies night, especially in the middle of Women's History Month. What could be better than having two women who were running to be the executives of their cities? First up, coming to us all the way from Valpo, Valparaiso. Coming in hot and strong. She looking like a real iPodster or a podcaster. I'm loving it. Y'all give it up. Running for mayor of, of Valparaiso, Hannah Trueblood. Hannah, welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> How you doing today? Doing great. Excited to be here. I'm I'm happy that you're here. And all the way from Bloomington, my second home. Yes, yes, yes. People think I live down there. I do not. We have a, another fabulous candidate. She's got primary opponents, but we're not talking about them tonight. We're talking about her. Y'all give it up. Running for the mayor, to be mayor of Bloomington, Carrie Thompson. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dana. We wish you lived in Bloomington, but we're happy to have you as much as you're there. Oh, my God. I keep trying to tell y'all, it sounds like a good idea until it happens. I'm telling you. You know, that's well, wrong. Listen. Oh, no. I didn't see the challenge. Look at you with your challenges. No, no. You know, if you eat too much chocolate, it'll give you a cavity. I'm just saying. I'm just saying too much of a good thing ain't good. Hey, you guys, listen, as we're talking to these candidates and you like the information that they are sharing with you, please feel free to click on their donate link. Yes, we turn every one of these shows into a mini fundraiser for our candidates. Please, please, please click on their links. They need you $5, $10, whatever you can give to support these candidates and show these candidates some love. All right, let's get this party started. Hannah, I'm going to start with you. Tell the people who you are and where you come from. Well, um, I'm Hannah Trueblood. I'm uh, born and raised here in Valparaiso. I've lived here my whole life and I'm raising my two kids here now. Um, I have been a real estate agent since 2017. I'm a third generation agent. My uncle's an agent in Chicago. My grandma owned her own real estate brokerage back in the day too. And, um, 
was raised by a, a I'm a landlord's daughter. It was okay. just uh yeah. So growing up, it was just me, my mom, and a, a toolbox basically. <laughs> so you know, I learned a lot of those skills early on, and um, yeah, I've got a, a fiance who these are not my musician. This is not <laughs> me. He is the talented one. Um, so we are uh, a musical household, and my daughter is learning the violin. So. If anyone hears a bunch of screaming cats, it's okay. It's just her practicing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> wow. But you know what? I'm glad that you said that you are come from a landlord perspective. You know what? There's a lot of legislation. There are a couple pieces of legislation that died this session that would offer some protections to tenants. We saw where, you know, bad actors just were... Uh, not being doing right by tenants. What are your thoughts on some of the landlord issues? You, you, obviously, you see it from both sides as a, as a landlord and as a real estate agent. Talk to mm -hmm. us about, you know, how you would approach, you know, some of the landlord issues, especially when you become mayor of Valparaiso. Yeah. So, um, like you said, it's it's definitely kind of a, a an interesting kind of privilege to be able to have grown up in that in that situation so that way i can kind of see it from both sides and um being in real estate i've, I've helped a lot of people with rentals i've done uh, a little bit of property management here and there and so i think that the biggest issue that that we see is that uh, the 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 lack of knowledge of of landlords understanding you know what what it is that they can or can't do and also tenants not understanding what they are entitled to and what they can and cannot do as a tenant i think that that's kind of a, an issue that we've seen and and really in my experience as long as people can kind of come together and listen and understand and we can educate people on the different things that we can do then it'll be a lot better you know some some landlords that that live out of state don't even realize that they're a slumlord you wow. know they don't come and they don't see the property and, and a lot of them are too even being taken advantage of by negligent property managers that they just kind of assume that since they're getting a check every month that that means that things are taken care of but a lot of times it, that's not the case so yeah i think educating both sides on on the importance of of their role in the relationship as well as understanding the other side is kind of an important conversation that we're not having enough of i love it i love that is a, a great way to start our show off tonight all right carrie tell the people who you are and where you come from yeah, thanks, Dana. Um, I actually was born in I was born in Washington D.C. and was raised um, on the Virginia side of D.C. Um, and I uh, I spent lots of years in uh, Virginia. Went to school there, and um, after college, I rode my bicycle from San Francisco to D.C. What? And um, it's true. What did you do and that for? I was uh, I was raising money for environmentally sustainable development projects. Um, Excellent. And but really, I I did it to to learn about our country, um, and it was the best education I think I've had. Um, when you're on two wheels, people talk to you like they don't if you're in a car. Um, and so I saw a lot of America. Um, importantly, we stopped in Bloomington, Indiana, for 36 hours. We had a day off there. And I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the community and um, all of the assets that are in Bloomington. And um, and I've been in Bloomington now for since 1997. Um, so 
so I'm married. I have um, five kids. We say through mergers and acquisitions, um, and uh, <laughs> just just love Bloomington. That is, that seems to be the general consensus. I was where was I? I was somewhere else, and people were like, "Oh, Bloomington is the greatest." I, I, it's a it's a cute town. I, I ain't gonna lie, it is a cute cute town. You know, so so what made you guys? And, and I don't care who starts off starts off first. What made you guys like look? Running a city ain't an easy task, right? What what made you guys say it's time? My time is now. I don't care who goes first. I'll go. I can happen <laughs> since I'm still talking. I guess um, go for it. The uh, first of all, Hannah, I just I wanted to mention I I love a woman who was raised um, with a toolbox. That's um, <laughs> I love it. Total street cred to you. Um, but you know, I I decided to run for mayor because um, I I really love Bloomington so much, and I see that our government is really leaving people out. Um, there are not enough voices at the table and, um, and lots of, lots of projects are getting pushed forward. Some of them may be good projects, but, um, we're not incorporating people's feedback to improve those projects. And, um, we both have, um, tremendous opportunity at our doorstep, um, that's going to pass us by if we don't take advantage of it. Um, and we have some really complex social issues to take care of in Bloomington. And the way to do that really is to use our greatest asset, which is human potential, and um, bring people to the table to think about what is the right answer for Bloomington in any one of these situations and um, really get creative and leverage those assets that we do have in order to really become the best Bloomington we can possibly become. And I have about 25 years of executive leadership experience um, that helps me do that um, and that will help me lead a great city. So that's why I decided to run. I love it. Hannah? Wow, that was pretty great. I don't even know if I can follow up to that. <laughs> you can, you got this. <laughs> no, but uh, I think that uh, actually, Carrie, a lot of what you're saying is is a similar situation that we've got going on in Valpo. Um, like I said, I've lived here my whole life. Uh, I'm, only, I'm 28 years old. And so not only will I be the youngest, but I'll also be the first female uh, mayor of my city. Um, but we have really, we've really grown a lot um, and we're now kind of nationally on the map. We've got, uh, had a lot of, of, of growth and, and changes here, but a lot of that has stemmed from these backdoor deals that are benefiting a certain a uh, few people and it seems that any development that pops up or any new business that comes or any sort of decision that's being made um, up by the mayor or the council it's always got these same couple of of people that are that are involved and that are are getting the checks so you know as as being someone who's lived here my whole life and i'm raising my family here it's so frustrating when there is so much opportunity, like you're saying, that could could really pass us by. We're really at this tipping point here where we could just totally roll back and everything is gonna be screwed, or we can really relay a, a good solid foundation and move forward with uh, a futuristic approach and having more, you know, providing more opportunities for more people. We're a diverse city, but we don't have diverse uh, voices in mm -hmm. our local government. And that is, that's the big reason why I decided to run, you know, it was kind of a, 
you know, if not me, then who kind of a moment. Right. All right. I was talking to a, a young lady today and I'm going to give her, I'm just going to call her JV for right now. Cause I ain't going to put her out on front street, but I was talking to her today and she was talking about how she was trying to find somebody to run for school board up in Zionsville and nobody would do it. And she was like, dang, I, gu I guess I got to have to. And she won. So when when we put our names on the ballot as women, we win. So before right. we get into to diving into everything, talk about the significance of, you know, International Women's Day and, and Women's History Month for you guys. I know for me, like the, the best part about International Women's History is that I get to define my own womanhood, right? No one gets to define how I should appear. No one gets to tell me how I should dress or what kind of woman I get to be now. Right. And you, you used to be able to tell me, but I, I get to be my own kind of woman. Talk about the importance of Women's History Month and what it means to you guys. Well, I mean, for me, you know, I was raised by women. I myself am raising a little woman, Hello. you know, and <laughs> that's, she's 10 and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, but, you know, I think that it's it's so important that, like you said, when women run, we're winning. And I think that something that is, it, it kind of came up for me when I made the, I made the decision to run over a year ago. And it really amazes me looking back at it. And even now how um, we doubt ourselves so much more. Like mm -hmm. if I was just a, if I was just mediocre white man, it would have been, yeah, no problem out and just doing my thing with, you know, half cocked, whatever. But, you know, as a, as a woman, we're, we're scrutinized harder it's harder for us to raise money it's harder for people to take us seriously especially for me as a younger woman um, without a political official political background so i'm really loving like women's history month on my on my page we're highlighting a lot of the firsts like um karen freeman wilson was the the first african-american woman to be the mayor of gary and you know People, people like that are cracking the glass ceiling and it's kind of up to us now to really shatter that thing. I love it. I love it. Yeah, Hannah, I think that you're one of the women that we need to highlight in our Indiana women's history as, you know, it sounds like you're a single mom who's 28 years old running for mayor and that is just incredible. Um, so congratulations and you can Thanks. do it. Thank you for thank you for stepping up to the plate and um, putting your name on the ballot because we need you. Um, Women's History Month is um, so important. I think for a lot of the reasons that Hannah said, um, it was a it was a great answer. And you know every um, every International Women's Day, I read um, "Phenomenal Woman," the poem by Maya Angelou, and um, you know, that poem really reminds me that no matter who we are, um, women really are phenomenal. And it doesn't matter what we look like and what gifts we bring to the world. Um, we need to celebrate that in order to give not only our girls, but other women examples of what phenomenal looks like so that we can remind one another that we bring incredible incredible assets to the world that need to be shared. And we can't continue robbing the world of um, women's leadership and women's voice just because sometimes our knees shake when we speak. 
what what the world needs is women who lead boldly with their own voice, mm. not wait for somebody to give them mm. permission to do that. Um, and that's really how we're going to heal and um, and really save the world. Um, but we need each woman to rise up. Absolutely. And you know what? I am so glad you said that. Y'all, two buzzwords, mediocre white men. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep that one. And, <laughs> and using your own voice. Right. Those are those are two key essential things, because, I mean, I know y'all probably heard about, you know, our favorite Hammond mayor in his feelings, you know, and I understand. I, I understand why he's in his feelings. He ran a, he ran his behind off and to have someone criticize that or suggest that we haven't been running good candidates is, is preposterous. But but he in his in his uh, disgust, he wanted to his disgust. He wanted to highlight that he's a, a white guy. And oh, my God. And it's like, I'm not going to get down with you, you know, Mr. Mayor. I dig you, but I'm not getting ready to get into this this white male. Oh, my God. We, we're the victims now. Get out. I'm not doing that. I mean, even Chris Rock was talking about it on his. No, white, white fellas. White, we love you. You are not the victim. Cut it out. That is from me. My candidates had nothing to say with that. I just it just drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. All right. You know, everybody knows all politics are local. I, I just read a, a couple, a whole bunch of bills to you guys. One of them was about preventing local ordinances from establishing rules on services that people can provide. How, as if you were mayor and this thing passed and there was, you know, a service, I'm not even gonna talk about, the, you know, cause I'm thinking, are they gonna go check the massage parlors and the restaurants too, right? You're a mayor and, and you think that the home rule matters in Indiana, but obviously it doesn't. What goes through your mind when you see there's a bill that's telling you as a as a municipality, you guys can't create ordinances that speak specifically to your communities? I think that the first thing that we should be doing is, as um, local government, especially as the executives, is going downstate and talking to these people in person. You know, we actually, interestingly enough, have a have a situation about um, we've got a a. a retail store here that's that's selling puppies and it's a questionable about where those puppies are sourced from and whether or not it's a like a puppy mill situation and and the council has put up a, a an ordinance to ban that sale um but that came after the indiana um drafted that bill that i i believe it passed in the, in the senate um that basically bans the local ordinances from banning puppy sales and so i you know when that kind of happened it, i think that that is a prime example of like you're saying i mean that's government overreach because all politics are local and if anybody should be able to make our own decisions it should be our own neighborhoods because things are different in each place especially on a on a hyper local level like this so i really think that that we need to see uh local leadership taking a stand um and going down there and and lobbying for the freedoms uh for us to make these decisions for our cities i love it carrie Yes, and I think that we need to do that together. Um, the the more that we can band together to do that, you know, is, is frankly astonishing to me that Republicans are the ones who want to um, centralize government after their main talking points are decentralized. Um, but you know, 
frankly, every time Bloomington wants to do anything um, that uh, that is very local and addresses our housing costs or um, or you know renters' rights, things like that, the the um, state legislature seems to want to get involved. Um, we do know what's best for our communities, and our local elected officials can make those decisions um, and need to. And so when this happens, our voices are critical at the state house and um, and they are stronger together. Indiana's own Dana Black turned left. We are talking to Hannah Trueblood, who is running for mayor of Valparaiso and Carrie Thompson, who is running for mayor of Bloomington. Y'all click on their donate links if you like what they're talking about. Um, now let's dive into it. Okay, Carrie, what's going on in Bloomington? What are the, the biggest issues that you see, you know, when you're in office, you win the election? What are the first things you feel like you need to tackle? The first thing, uh, and, and I'm hoping to do it in my campaign, I hope this is already underway, um, is to create real partnerships. Um, we have a, a city executive branch that's not talking to the county executive branch, not talking to the university. Um, those partnerships are critical to make our whole community really thrive. Um, and so getting back to collaborative government where um, we really act with the belief that we're all here to help the whole ship rise, um, that's going to be critical to getting the, the rest of what I'd like to get done done. Um, the second priority for me is housing. That um, should come as no surprise to anyone, um, first of all, because we have skyrocketing mm -hmm. housing costs in Bloomington, um, but also because I have spent um, cum cumulatively now 32 years of my life either um, as the CEO of the local Habitat affiliate or as a volunteer, another staff member and another affiliate. So I know housing and mm -hmm. I know that it's incredibly complex and that it's such a fundamental need. Um, if we want people in our community to really be able to offer our community their best, they have to be well housed and they have to be able to afford that housing and that housing should not cause them stress. That housing instead should be respite for them and should be a place that they can come home and um, relax and um, recharge. Next, uh, public safety, especially as it pertains to our substance use and mental health crisis. Mm. Um, we just have um, people who are, many of whom are living on our streets right now that are at crisis levels of uh, mental health and substance use. And, um, and we really need to increase our public safety and um, bring resources to bear to help um, offer these folks um, a dignified way um, to really uh, heal and, um, and, and find some safety of their own. Yep. You know, you guys, I'm going to touch on a very touchy, touchy, touchy situation down in Bloomington. Um, you guys recently had an incident at your, uh, your County jail. Um, we don't have to obviously go into the details of that because it's still ongoing, but talk about how did it make you feel when you learned that, that type, that type of incident happened in your town? Okay, well, now that we're talking about the jail, can I, I, I'm going to um, talk about that incident, which is, you know, we need to treat people, no matter what, we need to treat people with dignity. And there are ways to, um, to create safety without um, causing harm. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and that is why our um, jail staff and our police are trained in de-escalation. But I also want to just say 
but the conditions at our jail are substandard. At, that, that's probably the nicest word I can use for it. Um, and if if we want, you know, I, I know we're not looking for a five star hotel here, um, but we need to we need to offer space that is um, that is safe for people and does not contribute to um, health issues or personal safety risks. I like that answer. I like that um, because I, uh, you know, we we often get caught up in the incident, um, but we don't look at okay. Well, how did it make the person feel? How you know how? I'm not even going to ask you how you would have handled it differently because you don't know how you would have handled it when you're not there. But uh, I just wanted to know how it made you feel. It's always upsetting to see see things like that, and that's why we like we encourage you know, all of our good police officers to show up and be in the community so that there's a, a contrast to everything that we're seeing in the media right now. Hannah, what's going on That's up right. there in Valpo? Oh, boy. I think the the proper question is what's not going on in Valpo? <laughs> 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 but no, so a, a few of the, the key important things that, that I really want to focus on when I, throughout the campaign, of course, and then when I get into office is, you know, first is, is really kind of what, what Carrie was talking about in terms of partnerships. And, you know, we have a, a, we're supposed to have a symbiotic relationship between the mayor and our council and, you know, our advisory boards and things like that. But the way that things are run right now, everything is kind of at the pleasure of the mayor and Mm. uh, the, you know, the council kind of answers to him right now in a way. And that is, is not the way that it's supposed to to be done. No, (laughs) we, we have checks and balances for a reason. So, you know, step one is to really mend that relationship between um, the mayor's office and and city council and and really get that back working the way that it's supposed to be. Mm. Um, Yeah. You know, secondly, um, again, with housing, uh, a big thing in, in my campaign right now is we're kind of recoining uh, affordable housing and and I'm spinning that as reasonably priced housing mm. because you know the, the affordable housing I feel like has been such a like like a dirty buzzword in a way on on both sides of the aisle and uh, the the last person that ran for mayor in 2019 kind of got dubbed a affordable housing guy and that kind of hurt him and so I really want to take that, you know, with my real estate expertise and say, you know, we're not we're not trying to bring the slums of New York to Valparaiso. We're not, you know, a lot of people are worried about, well, you know, cheap housing means that that's going to ruin my property values. And so, you know, when it comes to resale, I'm going to suffer from that. And why should I be, you know, paying taxes that, you know, go towards amenities that, that these people can't afford. So I really want to turn that conversation around and focus more on reasonably priced housing based on the amenities that we have. Because, uh, you know, as compared to the rest of the region, Valparaiso is kind of a, a special place. You know, we have, um, you know, we have really great schools and we have nice parks and we've got, you know, a lot of things that, People want to live here for a reason, right? So, you know, and I don't want to uh, necessarily take that away from anybody or or make people feel, you know, any type of way about that. So, uh, a, a big thing that I'd like to introduce here is, is the the use of community land trusts mm-hmm. and really straightening out 
you know, we right now are incentivizing and giving tax abatements to these high-end luxury developers that, you know, they're tearing down historic properties and they're building $750,000 townhouses. And, you know, that is something that you'd have to make $200,000 a year or more to, to live in. And the average income in Valpo is 56,000. So really focusing on being able to provide quality, good housing for our teachers and for our police and for our waitstaff and for our nurses, you know, that's, that's where we really uh, are, are missing the mark. So that's it's, a big thing. You know what? I, I, I'm, I'm not a mathematician, but I did graduate high school. And uh, if the average income is under 60 grand, the average, right? then why are they pricing the properties so high? And if, you know, cause I know Bloomington, first of all, I know the cost of living in Bloomington is significantly higher than it is in Indianapolis. And we actually have people in our town. I, that's a, I always gotta, always gotta, from, for Nicole, I always gotta make, <laughs> I always gotta make a joke about, about my, my second city. But but why are these developers not why, why are the, why are we allowing these developers to come in and price people out of uh, uh, housing to the point where they build the seven hundred fifty thousand dollar but but the two hundred fifty thousand dollar home um, is now their property taxes go up and or even the hundred thousand dollar home their property taxes go up and everybody is struggling right so mm -hmm. why do we allow these developers and you guys may have insight that I don't understand. Uh, why do we allow these developers to come in and, and price people like that and gouge them out like that? Oh, a big, a big reason that they're doing that here is we, we've got a lot of um, Chicago transplants moving this way. You know, tech, we're, you know, we're, we're 50 miles from the city and, and you can take the South shore train straight, straight into downtown uh, from basically from here. So we're, they're really trying to appeal to, to commuter families and um, they're, they're trying to, to grow it and to increase that average income, I think. But what they're really forgetting about are the people that are already here. Hello? And like what I was saying was, you know, if, if we can afford it's cause see the, the big argument here is that they claim that we can't afford to, uh, you know, build lower price homes or to rehab the dilapidated properties that are already here. But my my rebuttal to that is that if we can afford to incentivize these these luxury uh, builders, which you know, tying back to that first thing I said, it's a lot of these builders are the same names that are coming up over and over again, uh, that also, you know, go to their houses for dinner. So, um, mm. but if we if we incentivize instead developers and builders to uh, rehab dilapidated properties in town, or we uh, incentivize the builders to build moderately priced homes, you know, 250,000 and under. We've got, we've got that there. We're giving the tax abatements there to these people uh, already. So why don't we flip the switch and we, we do this in a way that's going to actually benefit our economy? Because a lot of these transplants, they still work in the city and they're paying income tax in Illinois. And the, you know, these million dollar houses, a lot of them, they're not, they're not shopping here. They're not dining here. And they're going to Michigan to their beach house on the weekend. But when we keep our people here, we have our, our, police officers that live in the city that they're patrolling in, mm -hmm. that's a that's a better police officer. Mm -hmm. And 
you have a, a nurse that's helping uh, provide care for members of their own community, that's a better nurse. And so those are the, also the same people that are going to shop at our local stores and they're going to dine at our local restaurants and they're going to pay their property taxes here. Mm. That's going to benefit us. So that way we can afford to uh, build up and fix our infrastructure and our roads that we desperately need, that we keep being told that they can't afford that. You know what? You you are uh, uh, 28 times two. I'm telling you, you are (laughs) (laughs) at 28. I was too busy chasing girls. I didn't even know that there was a whole (laughs) civic engagement thing going on. I I was out here chasing women. That's all I was doing. Two kids and a divorce will do that for you. I I say I self-identify as a 35-year-old, so. Got it. Also, (laughs) Carrie, do you have any thoughts on, you know, how we can keep these developers from, you know, and I, and I know Bloomington is, oh, God, I, talk to me. Yeah, the, you know, uh, housing housing economics are complicated anyway. And in Bloomington, there there's an added layer because we have a population, a, a large population there, um, whose housing is not paid for by people who live in Bloomington, right? And so we have the students coming in um, and we love our students and we need our students. Um, and they, they make our community work, um, but their parents tend to pay for their housing by and large. And so those, those incomes are sourced somewhere else. And um, so our wages don't necessarily have to support the rents that we're charging. Um, and so that that's an added layer, um, but, uh, I'm going to pick up on some threads that um, that Hannah uh, started weaving together. You know, a municipality can um, do a lot to incentivize the kind of development that they do want. Mm. Um, and um, at, in Bloomington, we're missing all levels of housing. We're missing um, executive level housing all the way down to um, what we refer to as technically affordable housing. Um, those that housing that's for families that are 80% or below of mm-hmm. the area median income. And that means that many, many people that are working in our community cannot afford to live there. That should be a concern, um, not only to um, to our community, just because of the the um, ability to, to welcome people to live where they work, um, but also because um, if we want those higher paying jobs, we are gonna have to, um, we're gonna have to grow some kind of um, some higher wage jobs, which yeah. means we have to welcome some new people into our community. And so it's self-perpetuating if we don't start to crack the nut somehow. And so um, some things, some very simple things that government can do, um, a, a city in particular, is um, is to roll back some of the red tape, which is not to say that um, we lessen the restrictions, um, but instead we we begin to interpret what these laws are for developers that we want developing the kind of housing that we want before they start drawing their plans. Mm-hmm. Um, so we keep our very high standards, but we say, listen, if you want to play in Bloomington and you want to develop housing for our people, which we want you to do, this is what it's going to have to look like. These are the these are the um, obligations that you have, et cetera. Next, um, Bloomington is an entitlement community, um, so we get CDBG and home dollars. Um, oh, okay, so wait, wait. What's an entitlement community? I've never heard that before. Okay, so I, I know I don't I don't love entitled people, but. Um, <laughs> 
and entitlement community means that um, our HUD dollars come directly from the feds. They don't go to the state, and so we don't compete with other communities. We have an allocation that comes directly to us. We can prioritize those dollars for the housing that we want, um, and so we can incentivize um, incentivize developers and hopefully keep the, and, and I think we should demand then that we we suppress the cost of housing, that that um, development subsidy goes directly to the end user, not to the developer. Um, so we can subsidize things like infrastructure. Um, and, um, and so while we're interpreting and sort of acting as a liaison for for guiding people through the process. And, you know, at Habitat, I was the largest single family home developer in the county for the last nine years I was there. Wow. Even at Habitat, when I would take a, a development, a new neighborhood through the um, through the plan commission and, and through the city process, those changes that surprise you at the end, they can cost up to a quarter million dollars. Wow. Well, who do you think pays for that? the homeowners right. or the renters in that right. case right so just by interpreting those laws and investing on the front end and enough staff that can um, actually interpret you can you can actually assist in the cost of housing i love it it's very I, real i love it I, those are oh wow those are great answers i actually have i'm gonna switch gears just a little bit because you guys the more you guys talked and made me want to ask this question what is your leadership style like I mean, you're going to be the executive. You're going to be the boss of the city. You know, you're going to be boss ladies. What's your leadership style like? Carrie, you go first. Yeah, I actually hate being called a boss because I um, really look at myself as a partner with um, with the team that I get to work with. Um, but um, I, I believe in a distributed leadership model, Dana. Um, and so what that means and what that's always meant for me is that um, that we have a vision and we we set big goals. And then um, the second tier, so whoever's next in line, and this would be department heads at the city level, um, they are they have their part of that mission. So planning department, you have this and community and family resources, you have this and they know what what their job is and what they need to get done within that mission. And then I really let them lead. I said, good guardrails. So here's the limits of authority. Here's when you need to check back with the mayor's office or, or council or whatever it is. But then I really want you to lead. I want you to make decisions on the ground. I want you to hire a great team. And I want you to tell that team every day what they're doing to make the city better so that they understand that even the person who um, who may not be able to say, oh, I'm making my city better, you know, I'm um, I'm sweeping the floor or whatever it is, that actually is making people at City Hall or in the utilities building, wherever it is, making them feel welcome and safe in our community. And so every person on that team should feel valued and should know what piece of the pie they are leading towards. I love it. Hannah? Yeah, that's a great answer. Um, the, the word that immediately came to mind when you asked about that was would be collaborative. I mean, pretty much exactly what, what Carrie is saying is, you know, maybe the, the boss lady, but, you know, there's, like I said earlier, checks and balances, and, and we all need to, to work together on that and really being the, the 
kind of an open book leader in a way that, you know, we're really looking for and asking for the mm -hmm. the input from our community because, you know, at the end of the day, it's not just my city. It's right. my neighbor it's my neighbor's city and it's, you know, that council person's city. It's everybody's city and everybody's voice needs to be valued to the same degree. You know, but I, I love y'all's answers, but you know what, when you're the mayor, the buck stops with you. Mm -hmm. How how comfortable are you all at making the tough choice, the tough decision? I think when you take the top leadership level in any organization, what that means is that um, you have to you have to take on the really hardest decisions and and take ownership for them um and and it's not fun i mean they say it's lonely at the top it's because really um you know everywhere else the the stuff rolls downhill but it rolls uphill uh in leadership and um so it's really important to know that you have to own the really hard stuff and that you really need to give the credit to the people who are doing the work. Um, and so it does, um, it does create a situation where you have to know within you that you are contributing to something so that you can take the hard stuff and, and give credit uh, where credit's due to your team. I love it. Yeah. I mean, and, and I would agree, it's it's not always easy being the leader because you definitely have to take the fall for everything. <laughs> Even things that aren't necessarily your fault become your fault when you're when Absolutely. you're in that executive leader. So, I mean, and, and as being um, basically a self-employed business owner, I've experienced that a lot, having to make those decisions in, in my own business and, and how I operate and the way that things happen. I think that you know, when you're when you're the mayor of a city, you really need to just lean into the morals and the ethics. And that's that's really the way that I think making tough decisions. I think at the, the end of the day, the best way to make those decisions is, you know, that whole thing of like, is it kind? Is it necessary? Really having that in mind of, you know, is this really going to benefit the masses? Is this the right thing to do? You know, if this were to happen to me, how would I feel? And that's really the way that I look at it. I, I think that's, well, both of those answers were amazing because I think you, you basically, both of you are basically saying, I have to put myself in somebody else's shoes to make the, the sound decision. It's not just about how it's going to affect me, but how is it going to impact, you know, the majority. And you, you're never going, you're not always going to get it right. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you handle when you, how do you handle a situation when you've made a mistake? I think the first step um, that our leadership right now is is really losing out on is admitting the fact that you made a mistake. <laughs> um, you know, saying, "Oh yeah, okay, I screwed up on that." Now let's figure out, you know, how to how to fix it is really what it is. Because, you know, I think a lot of people in politics, especially people, you know, make mistakes and they dig a hole because they don't want to admit it and they're embarrassed or they're, you know, whatever. They've got someone in their ear telling them to cover it up. And then, you know, you keep digging the hole. Eventually you're going to be so far underground. There's no way that you can even come out on top. So, you know, admitting that, admitting that mistake and really looking for a solution instead of, finding another problem is is the way that I would do that. Oh, man. Carrie? I think um, this goes, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree, Hannah, great answer. It goes back to that leadership question. Um, 
you you do have to own when things haven't gone right. Um, and um, and frankly, in every job that I have had, um, especially at the executive level, things go wrong. Um, the The responsibility of an executive of any complex organization is that you have to manage ambiguity every single day, and and sometimes that means often that means you're doing things you never stepped into before um, because the city has a new crisis or or something else um, and you know you have to you have to manage with that um, moral compass um, and and really listen to that and um, and if you listen to too many other voices um, especially in those crisis moments um, you need your advisors but um, you need to you need to get to a point where you um, can understand. I am I am making my best decision now, and if it's not right, I am going to admit that I made a mistake and take actions to correct it. I love it. I love it. Those are great answers because I mean, again, we could talk about policy issues all day long. It's how you handle those policy issues. All right, last last question before I get to you know where people can find you because it's already that time. I know it goes by quick. I know. I know. Uh, I don't care who goes first. I'm going to give you a half a second to think about it. What makes you the right person to be the mayor of your city? I have the leadership experience um, doing this in, in um, other venues. And also, um, I am the one who is committed to a broad, broad cross-section of our community and lifting up those voices and um, creating tables where there aren't any now. Um, and getting them getting them to be um, as involved in city government as they'd like to be, but especially having having people understand that I genuinely do want to know how we can continually improve. I love it. Yeah, good answer. Well, it, I'm I'm the best choice to be the next mayor of Valparaiso because I've lived here my whole life and I'm raising my children here so i have a vested interest uh in in this in the city's success for one and for two ex exactly what carrie was saying you know i'm not here to shut everybody out and to keep pulling chairs away from the table i'm going to be building a bigger table that is allowing for the voices in the city to actually be heard and to really set a new standard for what local politics and just politics in general looks like and what it really means to be not just a good democrat but a good person and a good leader in a community i love it and claim that democrat i am so sick and i i, I understand that there are certain communities where you know the jewish space laser believers live and you know they can't just run around and be like rah rah i'm a democrat but i love that own it i mean because we are the we we put people over politics we put people over profits we we are we are about people and we just got to keep sharing that message about how we want to help people now you can't fix stupid but we can we can keep on trying to let folks know that you know we if you vote for democrats you're looking out for your economic interests your children's educational interests your your financial interests because we care about people so thank you for saying that we are democrats all right miss mm -hmm. hannah tell the people where they can find you well, um, you can go to Facebook or Instagram, Hannah for Mayor, and then hopefully soon we'll have HannahForMayor.com up. I love it. I love it. Carrie, where can the people find you? Yeah, so I'm at Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, 
at carryforbloomington.com is my email and carryforbloomington.com is um is our um is our everything uh you can find us on facebook instagram twitter and the web and do either of you have any events coming up where you're maybe uh needing some volunteers fundraisers yes always <laughs> <laughs> yes we canvas um every friday evening from five to seven saturdays 10 to noon one to three and one to three on sundays um and we love volunteers um you can find a list of events um on our website and we have a myriad of forums and debates coming up in bloomington i love it that's great yeah we've got um you know, we're, we phone, we'll phone bank uh, most evenings, uh, either at the office or virtual. Uh, we're doing a postcard writing party at, at my campaign headquarters on Sunday. And anybody that is not local that still wants to help with anything like that, we can mail you postcards and we can definitely, you can virtually phone bank from anywhere. And that's all I'm saying. So I, I love it. I love um, <laughs> it. I love it. I, I got to tell you, you know, uh, Carrie, I, I know that you will appreciate this when I say this, because I know, you know, we, we we graduated high school probably in the last century, didn't we? We, we between the two of us, listen, is, I is did. It, right? Listening to Hannah tonight wasn't it incredibly refreshing? Hannah, you are incredible, and um, I I I'm a total fan, and um, I'm fan I am supporting you. And, I appreciate uh, that. <laughs> I am so, so impressed. And, and, and it's not that yeah. I don't think that Carrie is impressed. I mean, but we, we're kind of seasoned. And so there are certain, I'm old. There's, there's an expectation when you're seasoned and you're on this side of 50, but, and, and you are, Hannah, right now you are dispelling everything that folks have been saying about millennials and what they are and what they're, you're, you're showing them now. Nah, I don't know what y'all talking about. I'm Hannah True Blood. What's happening? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, Carrie, I know, I, Carrie, I know you feeling what I'm saying. It's not that I don't love you too. I, just... I am, I am Dana, but I am on Hannah's side of fifty. So, um, uh, okay, that's what's watch up. It. Okay, hey, hey, it's, it's all good. I'm, I'm the old head. I, I'm, I'm claiming it, y'all. Thank you. Keep going. Yes, oh, that's great. I appreciate going. that. I get, I get told all the time I'm too young or not experienced no. enough. But you know, I claim my, I claim the, the young age is an asset instead of a liability. I so love it. Same thing Absolutely. as I do with the D behind my name. It's I an love asset it. all the way. Be, a, be your authentic self. And no, you are never too young. Uh, you know, I, I remember telling a young lady I wanted to date. She told me I was too young. I said, I got my driver's license and I'm potty trained. What am I too young for? You know what I'm saying? You... Right. <laughs> Indiana's own Dana Black. Tonight, I had the pleasure of talking to two more mayoral candidates. Think about it, y'all. I've had three women on who are running for mayor and I've gotten more. There are more women running for executive levels in Indiana than in history. They everywhere, up and down the state, north, south, east, west, big city, small towns. Women have put their names on the ballot to run their cities. And I am so stoked about it. I cannot tell y'all how exciting it is to see that as women, we know that we are more than capable. And oh, by the way, they're intelligent. It just so happens that there were women. I mean, you don't have to elect stupid people. Y'all really don't. 
Y'all really don't. Y'all can y'all can elect. Y'all can choose to elect intelligent people. Indiana's on Dana Black. Thank you so much, y'all, for joining me tonight. This was an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed talking to the two of you. The chemistry was amazing. It's got my brain cells all tickling up up in up in there. Y'all remember, I have I've got candidates every week between now and the primary. We are booked up, and I've already started booking candidates who didn't have a primary opponent for after the primary season. Indiana's own Dana Black and Turn Left is your premier location to learn about the candidates who will be on your ballot up and down the state. I know y'all don't really don't get down until there's a president on the ballot, but this year we got all municipal races, all politics are local. You need to know who is going to fix your pothole. That's all I'm saying. You want to know who's picking up your trash. You know what I'm saying? Those are things you want to know, and you can follow those folks right here on Turn Left every Thursday live. And then if you missed the live show, scoot on over to my YouTube page. Just Google Indiana's Own Dana Black on my Google page. And uh, I am so far gone now. My show is a podcast on, on any platform that you listen to podcasts. So you can take Turn Left and all these fabulous, fabulous candidates with you. No matter where Spotify, Apple, Google, does not matter. You will be able to find Turn Left hosted by Indiana's own Dana Black on all of those platforms. All right. I love doing the live show because it gives these candidates an opportunity to, to put their chops you know, it's nothing like doing a live interview because my philosophy is this. What if they win? What if the candidate that is on the ballot wins and they never had an interview? We don't want, we want all of our candidates to be prepared. We want them to be prepared. So make sure you tune in every Thursday for the live. If you have questions, you can put them in the chat. I'm talented enough now that I can actually read them. I've learned over the years. And tune in every week so you can find out who is on your ballot. In the meantime, I will holler at y'all next week. Peace. Turn Left is the property of Black Girl IT Solutions. Executive producer, Indiana's own Dana Black. Music by www.binsound.com.